I knew I'd leave it behind. So once I wrote a story, once I wrote a story about an opium addict with a self-driving car, once I wrote a story about an ostrich, once I wrote a story about a blind boy in superhero satin, once I wrote a story about a hummingbird drowning in a bowl of cream. Next, I wrote a story about an animal addict with a mule with two bitten-off ears. The mule was Notches, ever gentle. Every night of her life, he told Notches goodnight until at last she drove him off and disappeared. Once I wrote a story about death do us part, extravagant the wedding night such as nobody can afford. The bride wore sequins. They found her in the motel bathroom. Her husband had stabbed her in the, mo in the dry bathtub, the sequins from the bed to the bathtub strewn like coins, like scales, like sequins, iridescent, incandescent, like a mermaid, like a bird. Once I wrote a story about a boy I loved who wrecked everything he had made for me and is wrecking it for me still. Once I wrote a story about a Jennifer and a boy, a baby named Lloyd and a Jew. Once I wrote a story about you. You said, what's it about? I said, you. <laughs> um, I am unequivocally happy to be here. Uh, I really love it. And I thank everybody who's here and everybody who brought me here. And um, I am particularly f find it particularly fetching to be able to go into people's studios and think about the relation of painting and writing and sculpting and writing and really love hearing people talk about their visual work. Um, I also am thinking about this reading. I'm going to have some long stories in this book. And I think um, I had a nice conversation with some writers in the room and uh, decided that rather than read something long. I mean, the nice thing about fiction is it has a duration and there's a little bit of an opportunity to fall away into it. Um, but I liked the notion that people were more inclined when they got up to that podium. This is a special podium for writers. It's really nice, sticky, a little bit. Um, that people were showing a kind of array so this is sort of a little bit of a sampling. Um, and it also relates back a little bit to some things I talked about when I gave a lecture um, about time and fiction. And so this is partly um, a response to a pretty antagonistic re relation that I have with time. And I, I know I'm not alone in this, but I'll put my watch down. So my antagonistic relation to time doesn't keep you here until 11.30 at night. But um, So I'm going to read some really short stories. Or I like what somebody called some of her paintings last night. Uh, Virginia did uh, meditation boxes. So, so don't ask the question if it's a prose poem or a short story. It's a meditation box. <laughs> and it's, I like, too, that you guys get to say, oh, it's like 60 inches by 50 inches. These are 8 inches by 2 inches. <laughs> And they're a little like a strobe light in a dark room, but it's not the same dark room. That didn't hurt anything, did it? Okay, good. When Danny and his girlfriend, these are unpublished and they're pretty new work, so if I stumble, be nice. <laughs> 
When Danny and his girlfriend of many years break up, she offers, by way of consolation, to do his dental work gratis. She is a dentist, or works for a dentist. She puts him under. Danny is so far under, he, rem- he remakes the scene of a boy devoured behind plexiglass at the zoo. The boy on a dare, the bear put down, cut open. There the boy is. His face is Danny's. The bear is a graying polar bear, the sky that crazy blue. Meanwhile, Danny's ex drags every tooth from his head with that implement they use. By the time he wakes, she's in Vegas. His current girlfriend, revolted, makes short work of leaving him, too. What instruction might we glean from this story? What might our Danny do? Two. (laughs) The boy makes a shield for himself and paints his face black and makes arrows with the pointed rocks he finds and secures to the good straight stick he finds with fake sinew his mother brings him from the craft shop. He cuts his father's suede coat into a loincloth and goes out across the short grass prairie. August. The boy's the boy, white blonde, blonder even than the grasses, his bottom so pale it is luminous, the alabaster haunch of the gods. Does he suspect his mother watches from the window, that the pronghorn sees him coming, that the badger regards him from his den? What can he say? What does he know of the savage history he enacts, the ancient, exultant longing? Everything is forever now, so says the postmistress, and I won't argue. I walk home to find a hummingbird flown into the shed, thrashing in the dark of the rafters. Our raccoon stumbles into the shadows, fattened on cat food again. Honey smelling succulent, a nightjar hunkered in the dew. Another day shut down, blue curtain. Another letter dropped into the clamorous box. Dear Marcus... A seed caught in her teeth that moved when she spoke. Her son was killed. She had tattooed into her arm a dragonfly to summon him by the glassy wings, the obscenely quivering body. A water creature once, millennia ago, flown into the hinge of her elbow. Angel beyond life, beyond mercy. Wings span wide as an owl's. The seed swam across her tooth. The sea kept coming. Driving west to be married, you broke out in hives. We blamed it on the shirt I had brought you, stiff, never washed. That night we ate ribeyes in a dusty arroyo and dug a hole in a cliff with a spoon, lighted a fire to burn sage in. The hives reddened and spread. You couldn't sleep for itching. We gave up sleeping. I stood behind you. Together we made a shadow of one body, four arms thrown against the cliff from the moon. Raptor, two-headed worm, and went at each other until sunup. What if, what if, what if? He was old enough to own things, a Porsche, a boat, a biplane. The other men she knew were boys. She was weeding her father's radishes and singing with the radio when he flew overhead close enough she felt the plane passing, climbed up stalled and spun and plunged and climbed and flew upside down in the air. Marvelous. 
what it must feel like, courtship of the birds, the serial monogamous, the polyandrous and loosely colonial, the lowly, piteous, squawking grebe sprinting over the water. It is hot. It is hot and I can scarcely breathe and you cannot quite see me. I am standing beneath the stairs in sunlight. It is afternoon. You have been gone a long time, years even. You could be my brother, you favor him. My lover, you favor him. Everything we did together, we could have done together in a week. Instead, I saw you by addition, by love unspent, by remembering somebody other. Of you, I had little to remember. Your mighty arms, the bird moving over the muscle. You smelled of wood, of feathers. For a moment now, the briefest glimpse, I stood beneath the stairs, frightful. There were three little girls who were sisters named Sparrow and Phoebe and Wren. Wren was the father's favorite. One day he watched a bird in an airport flying from chair to chair. It flew into a window and dropped to the floor and for an hour lay stunned at his feet. In great anguish, the father knew Wren had left him. She had gone to Cuernavaca. Here he found her and dragged her home by her hair. Um, so that's the last of the eight by twelves. Twos, twos, not twelves. Um, and I'll stretch out a little bit here. This is another new story. Um, it's coming out in the Kenyan Review. It's eight by eleven and a half. It's called Monocot. And all that means, this is like my tiny bit of internet research about the bromeliad. And the bromeliad is a monocot, which is, means it has one bloom. It's an epiphyte, which means, I forget. Feeds <laughs> on air. Monocot. He served a few years in the Merchant Marine and so named his sons Anchor, Hauser, and Rudder. <laughs> the names amused him. The boys didn't come to much. The eldest killed a girl he was in love with, a crime of passion. You likely recognize the arc of the story. The father grew water oak strewn with epiphytes that looked like creatures of the sea, bromeliads of many colors. The plants were bizarre and harmless. If you wanted to hurt the man, you hurt these. After long months at sea without women, the father fell in love with a delicate, flinty girl who went by the name of Penelope. To watch her mouth as she spoke, he would give anything. She loved him briefly, and they married. Her feet were always cold, and her teeth ached, and she ate nothing but tiramisu. They watched a film one spring night about a speed skater stricken by a crippling disease. Exquisite, such ease, like something winged, the way she moved across the frozen expanse. It was as if you were watching music, then the wreckage, the counted hours. A beetle, caught on the lens of the projector, kept walking across the screen. It was a thousand times too big. The marriage was over. They were driving home after. He wanted to know why. A rabbit loped along the shoulder, keeping pace with her car. She couldn't begin to say, but it was over. She had her bags out the door by morning, monumental in the sun. 
He moved south for the heat with his third wife, mother of his three boys. For years the boys played who would win, a tsetse fly or an elephant, an anchor or a hauser, diabetes or a Colt 45. The boy wrote her out in a dory on flat water at dusk and strangled her. The eyes were the proof, the marks on her neck even after the lake had done its work. She had looked like her mother once, people said, as consolation. The father grew calla lilies also and drank water from the throat of the bloom. The blooms were extravagant, cousins to the lethal datura, succulent in the moon. Best by far were, to him, the bromeliads, slow to grow and scrappy, needing nothing but mist and sun. Uh, I was wondering if somebody was going to come with a hat on, an orange BSC hat. Thank you for being here. <laughs> So, I mean, obviously a lot of time passes in there, uh, which is why I read that. Just thinking about how um, things can accelerate and slow and compress and release. Um, I think if you don't write fiction that has a whole lot of event in it, um, that's one of the ways that you can create that dynamic feeling um, is by by variation and tempo. Um, this is another very short story in which, well, one thing happens twice, um, but only one thing happens, um, and it moves through the years, 10, 12 years. It's called Blood Country. <clears throat> I'd love to talk to any of you about anything you're thinking right now, or for the last 15 minutes or whenever, you know, if, if you have any things you want to say or ask or comment on, I, I really like hearing it, so, even if it isn't nice. <laughs> no, I just, it's really good. I mean, it's, it's a little often, right? We all feel this. Um, isolation. Blood country. The wind came down from the mountains and drove the fire across the plains. The fire burned fast and bright now, and everything living moved with it. The jackrabbit and the antelope, the coyotes flushed from their dens. The badgers dug in. He tried to think of it. He thought of his wife, but he had lost her name. He rode with his back to the mountains, going blue in the dark, coming on. A light was burning. He needed to reach it. He rode holding to the horn of his saddle. He did not ride so much as hang there as in some shoddy western. He felt the heat of his face. His face was on wrong. The wind pressed against his back and made him cold. Her name was Prairie. Prairie was his girl. His wife was what? The wind parted his horse's mane and blew it eastward. The pronghorn would outrun the fire, but cattle would heap against fences until fire burned them alive. The prairie was short grass prairie, land of his youth, blood country. His horse walked calmly, and the flames moved off from them, and ash made the going quiet. He slept, he did not know how long, before his horse spooked and started. A rabbit bounded to the burnt grasses, wind lifting and twisting its hair. Somewhere a bird dipped past, a clump of roots flared. 
He did not wake again until the ranch house. He had been in the mountains, he explained, pushing cattle. It was a young horse he did not know anymore. He had a wife he knew. Could he call her? He didn't know how to call her. He had forgotten the number. Town was ours. He had parked his rig somewhere. Somebody else had been with him. He could not bring up her name. He meant his wife's name. His head was breaking. His, he was vomiting between words. He said, I think my name is John. He tried a number. It was somebody else. He had lost his son's names, his mother's. He tried a number. I think I am John, he repeated. At last he reached her. Elaine was her name. She came to him, a good woman, and nursed him the years in bed. He had been thrown, he supposed. Maybe his horse had reared up and hit him. He lay in bed for years and tried to think of it. He flew into rages. He had seizures. The doctors worked on him. His jaw had been thrust into his brain. His mind wasn't right. It would not be right again. He could hear his eyes rolling in their sockets. He was dangerous, the doctors told his wife. His wife was thin and weak, and her hair fell out. You need to do something, the doctors told her. She came at them with a shovel. He heard mice half an acre away. The sound of opening a bag of potato chips knocked him to the floor. His boy dropped a horseshoe behind him. His face swelled as if struck. He went nowhere, bed to kitchen to bathroom. He meant to take his life, but something stopped him. He was 40 when the horse wreck happened. He was 50 when they brought him out again into the wind of that dry country. What was expected of him? Who would recognize him? How was he to behave? The grass had come back. Sun had whitened the bones against the fences. He could not run right, but he could stand. He could ride a horse, he discovered. That's what saved him. He kept to the plains, to the coolies. He rode anything. He broke colts with his boys. He roped calves at the local rodeo. In the fall of that year, he was thrown by a colt and dragged by his boot from the stirrup. His boy found him. He was living still. The wind tumbled his hat into a coulee. The boy studied his father, the mess of his face, the years ahead. He saw his life spent. He saw his mother with her robe hanging open. His name was Trinity. His father twitched in the grass, jackrabbit, coyote, on anything else a man took mercy. Trinity, he repeated, God damn it, Pop. I'm your boy, Pop. I am your boy, and you are John. <clears throat> so you can sort of feel it's sort of uncharted for a while, slowish, and then it kind of brutally <laughs> speeds up. Um, that I hope feels like it's in sympathy with the man who's suffering through this. Um, <laughs> I, I can't help but think of it. There, there's an old cowboy I know in Montana. A lot of this stuff comes from the West. I grew up in the West. And um, pronghorns, you know, a prong, pronghorn is a name for an antelope. I'm not everybody knows that, but um, anyway, this guy is a guy we... Uh, borrow horses from occasionally. He asked me what I wrote stories about. I almost made that mistake of saying, you. I wrote stories about you. Uh, <laughs> you have to be careful, right? <laughs> He's a good man. 
Um, so I thought I would just read a, a, you know, a story that behaves a little more reasonably in terms of time, uh, a little more predictably. And um, it's also set out in New Mexico. And uh, I think then that'll be the last thing I read. It's a story called Pakistandra. It's got a little dialogue in it for Jake, because Jake likes dialogue. I do too. I'm just not as good at it as Jake is. Rose called. I said, hello, Rose. You sound funny. I was lying on my back with my legs in the air trying to make a baby with my mister. I had a seat in there. My poor egg had slipped out to meet it. Can't you come out here and help me, Rose pleaded. She had bunions. She had busted her elbow stirring oatmeal. I was busy. My mucus was of a quality. I had just the least clutch of eggs left out of the millions I got when I started. Get off, my man said, and I'll do it again. Is that Tonto I hear? Tonto snorted. She'll talk all day if you let her. Just send me the obituaries, Rose said. I want to see if I'm in them. Come March, Rose called again. I wasn't doing anything. I was solo again. I broke my back, she said, reaching for butter. For butter, I said, that's ridiculous. I bought you a ticket. I'll send Rudy. Rudy was the help. He was wicked. His eyebrows made a lovely shade for his eyes. He was hopey, and his hair shone like butter. I said I'd come. I flew across, landed in the land of enchantment. I'd been a girl here, been in quicksand in the big muddy river. I scrambled out. No Rudy. But who, after all, can blame Rudy after all we've done? I cut a taxi and went straight to the hospital where I had come out into this world. Who was there, I asked. Anyone? Gotcha. Big Ed and Snicker Bar were somewhere in the back. Gotcha looked up weepily whenever Rose said his name. He worked to sit up and tipped over. Rose fed him off her fork at the table. I like butter, Rose told me. Is it so much to ask? Her back was cracked in three places. She broke like pencils. She had a hump you could set your mug on. The doctor said, Doll, if you can get her to walk, get her at least to sit and eat. Eat, I asked him. She will vomit in her plate. I hated to so much as touch her. Rose broke a finger dialing the telephone. She snapped the neck of her femur off, stepping up the step from the driveway. March, and the jonquils were blooming. I brought a few stalks to the hospital and a peanut butter jar. A bee buzzed in the cup. It made me sleepy. Are you sleeping, I asked her. I will be. I went home while Rose slept to scrub up the house. I'd find a nurse and sort through the cupboards, the blackened fruit and applesauce, the chewed open boxes of jello. Rose had cans from the 1940s, sacks of sugar hard as adobe. She had a hip high stack of aluminum pans the city delivered her meals to her in. I'd moved the bed. She needed a hospital bed, cranks and pulleys. The handsome doctor said so. Under her bed, I found droppings and newspaper stuffing tugged from the mattress, insulation, sponge. I found the ossified stools of her dachshunds, still ready from kips and kibbles. The cretins snapped at me while I worked. Big Ed, gotcha, snicker. They pissed on my lumpy pillow. They ate every bristle of my toothbrush and threw it up in my shoes. You could take them to the vet, Rudy suggested, and ask if they are in any pain. 
And if they are, I asked. I couldn't do it. Rose had saved those dogs from the gas box. They had no manners. You couldn't blame them. Gotcha had a tumor in his bowels. He puffed up and walked his belly raw on the carpet. Snicker was missing an eyeball. Something ate Big Ed's hair. They chased mice and never caught them. Cockroaches feasted at their food bowls. Candles went limp in their holders, helpless in the heat of the desert. Every doorknob was choked with elastics Rose had saved from the newspaper for years. I rolled my sleeves to my elbows, afraid to have something run up them. I slept blasted on the beach with Tonto one splendid week in Panama City. A ghost crab scooted up my pant leg. A fiddler crab sat in my eye socket. You made it up, Rose said, but I like it. The handsome doctor thought Rose was my mother. My mother's already dead, I told him. But then I wished I hadn't. I wished I hadn't come. I wished I had Tonto to work with still slow in a sunny bed. My time was passing. Rose said, whose isn't? I held her sweet hand and looked out. A jogger streaked past the hospital window. He weaved between cars in the parking lot, sweating and showing off. He looked like Rudy. He was Rudy. Rudy was supposed to be high on the Spanish tiles, patching leaks with cut-in-half coffee cans. Half Rose's roof was cans. Rudy sprayed them with desert amber, glopped them in with a fat seam of caulk. Let me out, Rose pleaded, before he knocks the house down. She reached for the handsome doctor, her eyes sparkling in her head. She was jacked up. They call that comfortable. That house was coming down around her ears. For 40 years, the roof had leaked. The walls shed stucco like continents. The English ivy had dug its fingers down in. Everything Rose knew needed helping. Rudy and the gas box dachshunds, the stricken disco elm. She knew a one-legged boy. She took cookies. She married a man who was dying and spent her honeymoon in the hospital. A year later, they were picking out coffins. The big pink, the satin amplitude. If you find me with my throat slit, Rose told me, look for Rudy. I looked for Rudy. Rudy was turning cartwheels in the street. I was still inside cleaning. I cleaned up oatmeal, butter. Everything felt buttered. The soap grew mold, a green velour. The chairs wicked piss from the carpet. I thought of Hanta, death by mouse, amazing what can kill you. Rudy stayed away. I bathed the dogs, and they bit me. I set the organ to play Moon River and scrub my knuckles raw. The handsome doctor let Rose go. I got her squared away in her rented bed with a hand crank and the pulleys. Her house was clean, but she didn't like it. She liked yard sales, topiary and porcelain, other people's pictures. She liked chubbies and bikinis and butterflies climbing the garden fence, reminders, little helpful hints, tea tags and winged cookies. Next time, order the shrimp. She liked bacon fat and Jimmy Dean sausage. She liked her bed I took apart. Rudy helped me, I lied. Rose said, Stonewall Jackson slept in that bed. She swung her feet until her slippers dropped off before he burned Atlanta. Watch it, girl. Those luscious mounds of ice cream topped with cherry can be the source of extra pounds that people note just barely. I like your mouth, Rudy said. I like your buttocks. He brought his women to the pack of Sandra that grew beneath Rose's window. I watched them in the street light, doing what people do. 
I tried missing old Tonto, but couldn't. There's something about you, I told Rudy. Maybe this, he said, and showed me his package. Sow your wild oats on Saturday night. Hope the crop fails on Sunday, Rose liked to say. When there was moaning in the pack, Cassandra, Rose said, Open the blinds and let's see. Rudy waved at us. He was kneeling in leaves. He was killing her with it, how it sounded. Big Ed ran laps around the bed legs. His stool hung from the hole by a hair. Something was leaking from Gotcha. A pair of roaches chased Snicker from her food bowl until she was too spooked to eat. Rose fed her in bed, the TV blaring, her eye cup buzzing with flies. Rose kept TVs on in every corner of the house, half the day, all night. I woke to car chases, shootouts, Rose thrashing in her bed. We kept her jacked up. We lost track of the bones she was breaking. We lost Gotcha, who had leaked for too long. There was a big resting freezer in the basement, stuffed with meatloaf and frozen lettuce. City meals for a dollar, individual portions. Rose had us put Gotcha in with them. He would keep. Throw the lot in there and bury me with them. Rudy carried Gotcha down. Sst, Rose said. I can think of no other way to spell it. Hopi eat dogs, she whispered. They dance with chickens. They dress up like ravens and snakes. Rudy carried Rose to her naga-hide chair. He smelled like gotcha. She fell out of it. Rudy said, you meant to. Rose spat at him, I'm starved. Give me a leg to gnaw on. She quit eating. She didn't care if she lived. They gave her something for it. We gave Rose a siren flashlight for her to call us to her bed, to her chair. Wow, 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 it went. She motioned for me to bend near. Check on gotcha, she said. Gotcha's dead, I said. Exactly. He was there, but an ear was missing. I turned him over to hide the deed. I took to Rudy. My next little egg went out. I picked life was my way of thinking, despite the blah, blah, blah. Rose said, if at first you don't succeed, keep on sucking till you do succeed. Wow, 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 the siren went. But we kept to the pack of Sandra doing what people do. Rudy had me knocked up come April. Come April, Snicker died of poison. We found her in back in the sunshine, blown up and leaking foam. Get out, Rose said. I had nowhere to go. She said, I'll tell you a cute little story. She made Rudy sweep the flagstone where deer mice pissed and lived. There was once a little Indian, Rose said. Drool crept from her mouth to her ear. She had hairs in her ears. I offered to pluck them. I plucked her whiskers. We drank paps from cans and watched the window where Rudy laid the Pacassandra down. No Rudy. No Rudy in that house long enough, it seemed he must be gone. I took a photo of the last place I saw him. His buttered hair. His silken tongue, he took gotcha, bundled up like a baby, already starting to thaw. Rose said, I never did have any babies. I never had brothers or sisters. My neighbors have been awful good to me. We make our choices, she said, and drifted to sleep, and waked and said, and then we lie in them. I lay in bed and felt the baby kick me, mine and Rudy's. Rudy was wicked. That didn't matter to me. 
I couldn't say if the baby mattered to me or if it was just something that happened, like breaking the neck of your femur off on your way to driver's safety. I caught myself in the mirror, pulled my face toward my ears. That was better. I didn't look long. I touched myself and kept going. I went until the bees bunched up in my lungs, thinking, Rudy, Rudy, slow until they lit out through me. How lovely they used to do. In the morning, I went to the hospital and had them scrape what Rudy gave me out. I would not have been much of a mother. I went for shit bags. I like to sleep late. I like people who could work their own spoon. I stopped in for caustic green chili. It made my head sweat. It made me cry until I couldn't stop crying. I flirted with a waiter and stiffed him, getting back at Rudy. Rose was singing when I walked in. Won't you go on, mule? Won't you roll those eyes? You can change a fool, but a doggone mule is a mule until he dies. I pried the window open. Something had shit in the grass, maybe elephant. The pack of Sandra was still matted down. I felt it for heat, like a campfire the cowboys have ridden out from. The telephone rang. It hadn't done that before. Spanky there? Hey, Spanky. Spanky, I said. Rudy, get back here, little bunny. It wasn't Rudy. It was those characters down the street. That night, I tied a rag around Big Ed's jaw to stop him yapping when I went out. Even outside, I heard Rose sleeping. It was just me and Rose and Big Ed now. I walked to Spanky's. It was right down the street. There were hookers outside in Barbie clothes, strippers inside in sequins. They danced in cages. They lunged at the bars. I ate french fries. I drank a nice cold Coke. You know I love you forever, but if you pour me a Coca-Cola, I'll love you forever more. Pot roast, frozen lettuce, prunes. Chicken leg, frozen lettuce, peaches. Meatloaf, frozen lettuce, pudding. Pot roast, frozen lettuce, prunes. No, Rudy. I could take you out. Only way I'm going out is in a coffin. Rose quit singing. She had a grape here and there if I skinned it. She quit letting me pluck her chin hairs out or work at her ingrown toes. Her siren weakened. Her organ quit. She quit sitting in the back with Big Ed. Come May, Big Ed was finished, dead of having lived. I started in the far room pulling plugs on TV sets, the murders and the heartbreak, the vim and vigor of the news. The sound closed around Rose. She never noticed. I pulled the last prong and her room went No, it was me and Rose and long desert days and three square meals she wouldn't touch anymore. The siren gave out altogether, and Rose had to call me by name. She forgot my name. She forgot I was there. When she saw me, she said, who is it? I went to her attic and tried on dresses, much too short, far too wide. What do you want to do today, Rose? Swing on the bar, she said, her hands hooks beside her chin. Her room filled up with butterflies. She was suffocating in them. Rudy sent a photograph. His chest was heaving from the dance he had danced. His face was shining and the brave, lovely wings of his back. We need air, I told Rose, a little sunshine. Every day was sunshine. I suggested a little tang party and tea. I brought Lorna Dunes to the front stoop where the rest of a world went by. 
The dying elm was spray-painted disco. A punk pinched a loaf in the grass. I thought I'd never seen it before, but I'd seen it a hundred times. Rose struggled along behind a walker to the lip of the front stoop. I tossed her walker in the pack of Sandra. I hooked my arms behind her neck and knees and swung her softly up. My bride, I thought, my balding doll, but everything in her was breaking. Oh, Rose moaned, and then, move it. We lay on our backs, breathing. The grass was pokey and dry beneath us. The leaves did their thing in the sun. Rose held out her hand for a Lorna Dune. They were perfect. They were from the 1960s. She would be dead before she got it to her mouth. Tell me something, I told Rose. Tell me a cute little story. Fuck off, said Rose. I was choked up. I ate slowly, my love, my last Lorna Dune, my old bloody country. That's it.